Welcome to HR Unscripted, Breaking the Silence, the podcast where we take a deep dive into the HR field and how that plays within a business, bringing you unscripted conversations from real life folks who work in the industry on a daily basis. We're really here to uncover the untold, the unseen, the tells within the life of HR from HR and business folks and to get their perspective. I'm Amy Sample. I'm your kindred spirit throughout this journey with over 15 years in the HR industry and now the owner of an HR fractional firm called Shades of Grey HR. I consider myself a true HR geek. And of course, my co-host today is Tony Tarbox. Hi. Our guest today is Karen Prez. She has been in the HR world for the majority of her career, and she actually has spent five years as an elementary school principal. Woo! Tony, yeah. I bet you went to the principal more than once. True story. <laughs> I It was uh, my fourth or fifth grade year at elementary school, and I spent the entire academic calendar year eating lunch in the principal's office because I started a food fight. Like one of those oh, rad, like real... 80s movie food fights like i i grabbed a handful in one hand handful of potatoes in the other hand handful of corn and i hucked them at a friend of mine and and i was bant from the lunchroom for the rest of the year i ate lunch with the principal did you have to clean it up no i didn't have to do i had to eat lunch in the principal's office you punish the principal too by doing that. Yeah, you know I was going to say that. That's probably the worst thing is that you're hanging out and then that person can't get anything done because they're they're hanging yeah. out with you. I will say, Karen, I have uh, you told me you listened to kind of my conversation with Amy. So, you know, my background. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I have nothing but love for people that eked it out in the world of like childhood academics right yes. uh, elementary education is one of those places where our society leaves behind that profession in many ways and turns them into a political football in other ways which is both infuriating and wildly interesting uh, for me so i can't wait to hear how you parlayed that career path into the one that you're on now yeah just delve into it and tell us how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, yeah well, I, I grew up uh, from the time I was a little girl. I always knew I was going to be a teacher. Like that was my end all be all goal was to go into education and be a teacher. And, uh, you know, I used to teach my stuffed animals and I had a little chalkboard and everything. And I would hold <laughs> class uh, while I was, you know, in the room playing. My mom was a, a school principal and was a very great mentor to me. And so I, I always had that in my background. Having said that, I did go to college and get my degree in education and uh, was a teacher, elementary school teacher, loved it. What did you teach? I started teaching second grade, which I thought I was just going to love forever. That's such a great age. They're kind of fun. And then I went to first grade and they were fun too. They're a lot more because they they get tired quicker at the beginning of the year. And it was just a harder push that first month. And then the tapping, hey, 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 on your shoulder kind of would get <laughs> a little frustrating. But, you know, they're they're six and seven. So I get that. And then I went to third grade. And I have to tell you, that was my final love. They are so funny. Nine, eight, nine-year-olds are so funny because they're just starting to develop their sense of humor. 
and they get like little jokes and they mm -hmm. try out their little knock knock jokes and their their silly little jokes on you and I'm good with those jokes. Those are the kind that I can retell and I can get uh, without having to put too much thought in, right? And so I really enjoyed that age. Uh, that was a fun one. From there, I went and just toned my focus into literacy and then educational leadership. And eventually, I became a school assistant principal for elementary school. And that was really fun. That's where HR became entwined with me. So I was about halfway through my career and we had a teacher who was behaving inappropriately in the classroom with the kids. And she was a fifth grade teacher. And so the, the school principal that I worked with, she and I conducted this thorough investigation on this teacher. And she she would post things in the classroom with profanity, profane language. And I'll tell you what it was. It was jackasses. Like, so she had all these posters and calendars that said jackasses. And they were pictures of donkeys, right? We asked her to take that down because obviously it, things were a little tighter than you're not going to say jackasses in the classroom or have that posted for 10, 11 year olds. And she refused to take it down. And then as we're going into, then we get complaints from parents. It just, just became this huge investigation. In the district I worked in, uh, we had a, a group called Employee Management Relations. And it was their job to assist school administrators, superintendents, ever, anybody that's in that administrative echelon of public education to assist them with employee investigations. So worked with them and fell in love with the process. I really enjoyed the process of making sure there was a thorough and fair, let me stress mm -hmm. fair investigation and working my way through that process. Eventually I got hired and worked at employee management relations for a few years and that was really interesting. That's where my HR career kind of started. And then I hopped back out of that for a little bit because I miss the smell of crayons. I don't know why. There's something about a fresh box. <laughs> you know them. what I'm saying? Yeah. There's that yeah. fresh box. Oh, you yeah. open it and it's that waxy smell. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I decided I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go back into the school setting. And then that's when I became a school principal. With early childhood education is the majority of that role as a principal or assistant principal like staff leadership conflict resolution between staff and the children or is, is there is there other kind of administrative duties that come into that space the union i mean oh yeah that's a whole sure yeah other ball game we're gonna spin into this but i mean yeah. i can't imagine having to to deal with all the bureaucracy that came with that yeah so there is the conflict resolution um, when you're when you're running a school, you know, obviously you're going to you you have to be uh, a leader, not just with your staff and with your students, but also also with your parent population and your community population 
plus reaching out to community businesses to garner, you know, elementary school, we, we didn't get as much money right. as the middle and high schools, right? So we would have, you know, community partners that would help support maybe buy books for the library, backpacks for our kids, that type of thing. So yes, there is, there is that. There's the conflict resolution because invariably when I started as a school principal, I came in at the beginning of a year that the previous principal had vacated the role six months into the, the previous school year. He was well-beloved, the staff enjoyed him, but he was also hands-off. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they were six months without um, a principal leader. There was an assistant principal, but without a principal leader. And then when I came in, they had heard about my background at EMR. And then I worked with all these people and I worked to get people fired. And I mean, that was the rumor mill coming in. Um, and so that was a really hard upheaval. So that conflict resolution piece, trying to make uh, peace, if you will, with staff while building rapport, building a sense of camaraderie, building trust, that's critical. So that way, when you're messaging what you know is best for kids and education and learning and you're messaging that and you want your staff to align themselves with your vision and you have to create that vision and and walk that walk that can be tough how often are those very different and disparate groups in alignment when you have a task to do ooh um well there's the <laughs> Oh, it's, that's a tough question. So never. Uh, because, <laughs> yeah. Because it's not answering right. that one. Well, I, I, I am because the, the problem is ultimately, if you peel away all the layers of the onion, you've got to do what's best for the students. What's best for kids should supersede anything else that drives your goals. Does that happen though? Yes. Because I, I'll tell you why, because I believe inherently that school boards and like I said, that upper echelon of, of school administration, the superintendents and the assistant superintendents and the, the superintendents over instruction and assessment, I believe that they want what's best for kids. So they try to find maybe programs or they try to encourage a various types of assessments so that the instruction that you're giving students is in the best interest of students. Now, sometimes that's a fail, but I think the intent is what's important and that's what's best for kids. Now, parents they're a different level of ch- challenge. Uh, Tony had kind of touched on it last week in his in his podcast. So if you haven't heard that, go back and hear that because he talks about how parents are more difficult. Yeah. And I agree with that. But every parent, you know, we don't, as a parent, you don't come with a rule book of this is what you do right. in each situation, right? So when parents come to you, they're coming to you with what they know and what they think is best, hopefully, for the child. You know, for the most part, most parents want their children to be successful in some way, shape, or form. There are outliers, but that's, you know, there are outliers everywhere. 
So I think dealing with parents, as long as they know that you're fair, again, I bring up that fairness a lot, and you're going to hear that a lot probably today, and consistent, and that you treat students con consistently while also treating them as individuals, I think once you build that rapport, parents come on board. There's always going to be your difficult parents, just like there's always going to be your difficult staff members. But in the end, it's it ends up being two to three percent that you're dealing with. Uh, and unfortunately, those two to three percent sometimes take 75 to 80 percent of your day. Um, but, you know, if you think of it that way, that's just a small plop in the bucket of of challenges. But yes, aligning to curriculum standards, all of that, making sure your parents are aware. And again, having that good communication with your school community, letting your kids know what the expectations are, your teachers know what the expectations are, and the parents know. Once you once you establish those guidelines, you can, you know, you can run a pretty decent school. Carrot, like it seems like this prepared you, and I can see now. Before it was a little harder, but now that you you mentioned kind of that background and what that background entails. And all of those disparate parts kind of coming together, it, it sounds like a recipe for success in the human resources sector. Well, it is. And, and so what ended up happening, you know, after I became uh, a school principal, you know, I had built uh, what I perceived and what I was informed was a great school, great school community, love my teachers, love my staff. But after so many years with them, you get to know them on such a personal level and you know they're good, they're bad, you know, you know, you've been through divorces, you've been through deaths with with your staff, you know, everybody's life going in different different directions, but you're all kind of coming to work every day. And after a while, I felt like I know these people so well, I was no longer objective. I knew whose children were going to college, whose children were struggling or had health issues or special needs. I knew what my staff was going through and I felt like I was no longer objective. So having said that, I had a great, unique, fantastic opportunity still within the district. I wasn't, I wasn't close to retirement. I was eight or nine years away from retirement and I had a great opportunity to transition to the transportation side of public education. So that was dealing with the school buses. And again, I'm an administrator. So I just went to what from the instructional unit side, I went to the professional technical side. And I was, uh, I was in a higher role. And I was able to work with school bus drivers and school bus aides and schools and parents and principals and running different bus yards. So our school district is very large and the valley that I live in, there's, it's very vast. So we had five different school bus yards and that means that each bus yard needed to be run by an administrator, a team of people that, you know, knew about busing. And then obviously the, the bus drivers and the school bus aides. I didn't know anything about transportation. Like I didn't, I knew how to drive my car. That was going to be my next question is like, how in the world? So, so that was the funny thing. So my family and friends were like, what the hell are you doing? Like, what the, it wasn't the hell. It was probably what the fuck are you doing? But, uh, and I was like, it's just a different challenge. It's a risk and I'm going to take yeah. a risk on something new. So I had to learn, I, I started off, I had to learn like 
all the lingo because it's a whole new lingo. In the end, leadership and human resources, you know, I've always said I can always tame the wild, but I can never raise the dead. Mm-hmm. So if I can, if I can hire somebody or work with somebody who's highly confident in their abilities and highly competent, so I always look for confidence and competent, I could train them on the vernacular. I could train them on, you know, yeah. how all the that logistics, but they have to come in already with some level of competency and be confident in their ability to, to learn and grow themselves. Having said that. I felt that way about myself. So I had to learn how to drive a school bus. So I went through the same program all our school bus drivers <laughs> did. I was, and I did it, you know, it's where I live. It's right. a very hot climate, right. you know, in the, you know, low 100s in the summertime. And I did it in the summertime. Was it air conditioned? Ooh. No. Oh, gross. <laughs> I was outside, Tony. And these are, these are, these are sixth graders on the bus too i imagine that are all developing their own uh musks right well yeah i mean well elementary kids have their uh, own odors too that's a whole different story yeah. but yeah no i had to learn how to drive oh school bus God. so um so i did that was fun but what what that did so what i'm trying to tie together maybe not doing a very fast job of it is starting off as a teacher going into the principalship Having my background in EMR, which we can kind of delve into, I I used all of that in my last role um, as a director in transportation. And I made sure that our employees followed the policies and procedures that was outlined for the school district, for for the bus drivers and the bus aides. I worked with training, guiding, you know, making sure, you know, there'd be, there'd be people that would come in front of me all the time because they were late to work all the time. Yeah. Well, if you're late to work as a school bus driver, guess what? Those kids are not getting to school on time. Guess what? Their learning is affected. Guess what? I'm fielding all the calls from the school administration, from the parents, because you can't see fit to get your butt up in time to come to work and then complain about it. I know the pay was at the time probably not the best, but shit, that's your job. So I have to tell you a school bus story. So I was growing up, I was a total latchkey kid, you know, mm-hmm. rode the bus home. Nobody was home when I got home, made my own, you know, snacks. Like I was that eight kid. So we had one time we had a bus driver. Her name was Betty and Betty got so mad at us. She made us all get off of the bus and she proceeds to drive away. Oh. She just leave you out in the middle of Oklahoma? Yeah, on a side <laughs> dirt road. She told oh, us to all get off of the bus. She was sick of our shit. And she'll be back. What happened? Did she come back? She did. She came back. And then she made us all get on. And it was it was weird. It was like she just drove down the road turned around and then we got back on and we were all just like oh my god what's going on with this lady she didn't want to get yelled at by karen that's what happened yeah yeah she would have yeah. been fired i mean she, she would have been fired betty didn't come back oh she didn't come back after that day no poor betty betty the bus driver i mean the 1980s school bus experience was uh mm-hmm. was something back in the day yeah. so yeah yeah 
yeah, I have stories galore from that. And, and there's all, you know, people, people, employees think that they won't get caught or somebody won't report. Well, when you're in a public entity, unfortunately, the public will report you. And, and, you know, when I first came in there, because people, again, that was a group of people that knew my background as, you know, at, at employee management relations. And, and, um, and again, just, just for edification, employee management relations, that's where you would, again, help school administrators investigate employee issues, help them, you know, draft disciplinary documents following the collective bargaining agreements and union agreements. And then, go through the step, the grievance process, uh, all the way through arbitration. So I did that same thing then in transportation. I was the one person who was in charge of all of the discipline for like overseeing it for all of the bus drivers and the bus aides. You walked into a room and everybody else walked out. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't (laughs) like to see me because if they were seeing me, and having a meeting with me, then they, it was, it was higher level. Yeah. Now I had a great team of uh, managers and stuff that worked um, beside me who, who handled most of the lower level of discipline. But once an employee continued to repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat their performance issues or behavior issues or policy and procedure violations, then they would come see me. I had to build a really excellent relationship of being fair. Now, people out there who listen to this who may have worked with me in the past will say, well, she wasn't fair. She was a bitch. She was this. She was that. She was mean to me, whatever. But in the end, how you, the discipline that you received was based on the same discipline other people would receive, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't treat somebody differently, except there were times where you got to be gray, (laughs) Right, Amy. When we play in the gray, there's times you have to play in the gray because different things, different things happen um, for for different people, and then that's when you work with the labor attorneys and you work with the Mm -hmm. union and you work to maybe create a settlement agreement to bring some an employee who maybe just really royally screwed up, just royally screwed up, and uh, but they. I always say they fell on the sword. They were honest. They admitted they screwed up. There's So there's mitigating criteria that affect the way that Absolutely. that discipline rolls down. And I imagine, too, that discipline is in, in the sector that we're talking about. Discipline is a lot more easily applied and probably stricter when it directly affects children right uh, yes. versus versus maybe a staff conflict or you know you were too hard on the equipment or you went over budget or any of the other things that can kind of come up in a in a space like that with that many people uh mm-hmm. those are where the gray areas i imagine are more likely to pop up that's true because we have to make sure again what is best for the students right. what's best for kids and if that's your if that's your caveat and that and that's always how i sold it what's best for kids what are you doing to help your customer base and your customer base is the, the kids right. and the schools and the parents so um yeah it, it is 
there are some mitigating circumstances, but I really loved my job. I, I retired. I loved it. Um, it was great. It was really great. I, I worked with fantastic people. I was really blessed my whole career to have get, been given all these different avenues and then really honed it into HR. So after retirement, then I've taken roles that are HR related. And then that's how I ended up with Shades of Grey with, with Amy and then with you, Tony, is being able to continue my HR, my love for HR after having had a, a full career in education. We talked about the discipline being applied more, more strictly or more kind of by the book when the children were directly involved and the, the allowance that you had to have a little more wiggle room when the children weren't involved, but still had to step in and rectify a situation. Which one of those sides of that kind of disparate coin prepared you for the kind of general HR stuff that we do on a day-to-day? Is it uh, today, is it the more kind of the line is drawn for you or is it the path that you get to create? Ooh, I think it's a combination of both. I think when you work in the realm I worked in, we did, like I said, we had um, uh, bargaining, we had a CBA that we had to follow. So there is a line, if you will, that you have to follow. Um, but there are times when you might have to skip a level depending on the severity. So for example, there are a couple instances where if some bus operators didn't do their student checks, so th- at the end of the day, the kids get off the bus. It's the last stop. You've sent your bus is empty. Your job is to go through and check to make sure that there are no kids on the bus. Um, if a bus driver, and then after that, then they return to the bus yard, park their bus, do their final check, and go home for the day. Right? Uh, if they didn't do that initial check, and they didn't do the second check in the yard, mm-hmm. and they left a kid on what which would happen because the kids would fall asleep they would sometimes especially if they're little ones they would they would fall asleep they might slide you know fall asleep and be plunked down lower and if the driver isn't really paying good attention to checking doing those checks all the checks are in place everything's in place all the policies and procedures in place all the training had happened this is something you do every day all the time, every day, several times a day, because you do it in the morning after drop-off too. After your last drop-off, you check the kids to make sure that you didn't leave anybody on the bus or get their little butts to school. And then you check again in the yard. So you're doing this check twice a day. If you if you fail, which did happen, then that's child endangerment. You're gonna lose your yeah. job. No, sorry, sorry. Amy, you and I were talking about this when we had our conversation. When we see common mistakes in highly regulated industries, they can almost always be attributed to someone not moving through an SOP or skipping a step. Just being lazy, right? I mean, everybody's off the bus. They're fine. Yeah, they're tired. You know, they may have had a shitty day. They may have had... You know, they their dog may have died at home. They may they might be going through their own personal crises, which you know we. That's the other thing when you work in HR, and this is where sometimes not obviously in the instance of of leaving a child on a bus. Obviously, that's that's right. That you're going to skip a bunch of levels for that. You're not going to follow any progressive discipline, right? Uh, That's not a slap on a hand. That's a see you later, alligator. 
but but that's where sometimes for some of the smaller issues, like for example, uh, maybe I'm going to go back to the attendance issue. Maybe an employee is really struggling coming to work. Maybe uh, maybe they they go home for lunch every day and then they're late reporting to work after lunch every day or after after a midday break. Because with school bus drivers, they report early in the morning and then they might have a, a couple hour break midday and then they report again like around lunchtime. So maybe they're late. And you're trying, you're having conversations, you're having this, eventually it comes out that they're going through a divorce or that their mom is at home and they have to care for their mom midday. They have to go home and change and feed and care for and medicate and go to the doctors. And they're going through that time in their life that's that could be short-lived, but is very challenging. It puts additional outside stressors on them at work. And that's where, when I talk about being fair, you also have to have some compassion because you don't know what people are going through. And even, even the bus driver who, you know, left the kid on the bus, that was never their intent. Understand. I don't, I really believe to the core of who I am, people, employees don't intend to make mistakes. They don't intend to do that in the, in the bottom. However, there is that section and and now we can go into some of the fun stuff where employees, they, while they might not intend, they're going to play the odds. And that came Mm -hmm. in with drug testing. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. So again, yeah. when we're looking at a federally regulated system, which would be, you know, when you're when you're dealing with a commercial driver's license, um, you are required to be drug tested and you have random drug tests, you have pre-employment drug tests, you have post-accident drug tests. So you can be drug tested for a variety of reasons. And let's say you get an accident with a bus. Um, you're going to go for a drug test. And if you test positive, whether it's drugs or alcohol, you know, you're going to lose your job. While inherently, again, going back to me saying that I don't think it was their intent, there was some intent, there was some knowledge, level of knowledge that I'm going to go, I'm going to smoke this joint and Mm marijuana is legal so I can smoke this joint and then I'm going to go to work and drive kids. Well, Again, that that's not going to go over well in the public eye. You know what you yeah. signed up for, right? Like, you know that those expectations yeah. are there. I mm-hmm. don't think it's your role or you're saying that it's your superior's role that they can't, you know, that, that that's wrong to do that. It's wrong in the context of here are the expectations. And if you smoke that joint, this is one of the things about cannabis that is so hard to, to reconcile in our positions, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, the It's showing up on a test doesn't always indicate uh, intoxication at that point. Right. So, the, right. so and I understand that and I get that, but if I take a job where the expectation is that I won't mm-hmm. imbibe on this substance, that's a choice that I have to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's just like taking, like, I, I remember, I remember one, one gentleman that was let go. He was involved in a bus accident, taken for a drug test, tested, positive for alcohol. His blood alcohol level was really high, which 
indicates that he had to have been, and this was in the morning, so he had to have been drinking, yeah. you know, before work, mm -hmm. like at two or three in the morning. After, you know, everything, he, you know, he fought the, the termination, the recommendation for termination. He fought, um, went, you know, went to pre-arbitration. We we're getting ready to arbitrate. And um, even during arbitration, it turns out that he finally admitted that he had been out the night before drinking and partying with his buddies until one or two in the morning. Well, many people have been in that. I've been in that situation, but I'm not going to do it on a night that I have to get up the next morning and drive to work. Drive like, kids like to I'm work. Gonna, right. Drive kids. Yeah. yeah I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. So that's where judgment comes in. And, and while again, that intent is not there to be a turd or be an asshole or fuck up my career or somebody's career, it, it's not putting that thought process into what are my actions today or tonight going to do tomorrow, especially mm -hmm. when you're working in the school district. So like even fast forward to a time I worked in corporate uh, HR people, you know, even though marijuana is legal where we're at, even though, you know, it's not an issue to, you know, for this employee, this employer, this, this corporation to say, okay, you know, if you smoke marijuana or whatever, or you do gummies, whatever it is that you're going to do, it just can't interfere with your work right. product. Okay. Duh. I mean, that's kind of the expectation right. is that, you know, even if you're going to drink alcohol, you're an alcoholic, you're, you know, hopefully it's not affecting your work. So I'm, you know, let's, let's, let's figure that out. Um, but, but if you're going to do that, then, and you get caught with a work, poor work performance, mm -hmm. That's a challenge. No, I'm not working with kids then, but it still is that documentation, again, working with the union, that level of documentation for poor work report performance still has to be calculated in there to justify uh, any level of progressive so, discipline. Karen, let's let's talk about unions for a second. Karen, you're you're unique because you're one of the only HR professionals that I've known that has a true union experience. So you're 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 a little unicorn that I'm going to pick apart for a second in regards Ooh, to. Ooh, do I fart know. sprinkles? Because I like yeah, that. You do. You poop <laughs> sprinkles as well. But that's, uh, you like know, I'll make Glitter. you that image later. So let's pause here and let's let's. I will very briefly kind of walk through. What a union is and, and how they do that. So there's there's about seven or eight kind of steps. So one is, you know, those those folks have to organize first and foremost. So they're going to get together and usually they're a band of folks that are disgruntled, whether their working conditions are poor, they're not getting enough benefits, their pay isn't right. And so they're going to organize, they're going to build support within themselves, and then they're going to file a petition to like the national or regional labor union that represents those particular workers in that industry. Once they file that petition, they're going to go get verification and, and do an election. So usually about 30% of the workforce have to be at least committed enough that this election gets held. They will then go to that election where it's a secret ballot supervised by that labor board. And then they go on to certification, where it's these workings, they're, they're going to elect to choose a union. The labor board will certify. The bargaining process will happen, which 
Karen, I want your feedback on the bargaining. And then, you know, the union stamps their approval and gives you essentially a list of items that you can and can't do. Now, this is my dumbed down version of unions. Noted that I have never worked in a union before, nor do I have any ambition in joining one. But with that being said, I know that there's a lot of bureaucracy that comes with a union, things that you have to do, that you have to follow, you know, all of your termination processes that you keep talking about are in theory, like what everybody, what every business out there should be doing, but Mm -hmm. they're not doing. So how has working with a union like formed your representation of, of functioning within the HR realm right now? knowing that some companies aren't that strict and don't have to follow those rules necessarily. Right. And, and that for me is where the frustration is. I've only known unions in my work. Uh, I've only worked with union houses. And so I, I like the fact that you can come together with your employees, your labor force, your workforce, and management, and knock out what the expectations are. Now, sometimes those are challenging. Obviously, when you're in negotiations, that's challenging because everybody wants everything, right? But yet, there's a business to be. How run. does Go that ahead. work? T- tell me a little bit about what you understand about the bargaining process and what that is. Unfortunately, I missed out on like the beginning development. So every place that I've worked, they've already had a CBA, collective bargaining agreement, that's a CBA in place. And so when you would negotiate every couple, two, three, four, five years, however, whatever it was that you negotiate for a new bargaining unit, that's, that's where I would play. And so maybe, you know, in the bargaining unit, in the bargaining agreement, uh, they have the wages listed out. And so wherever I, when I worked in the public sector, that was the other thing. Wages were really, everybody started at this wage. Let's just for shits and giggles, make it simple. Everybody started at, let's say $20 an hour. Um, And then a year later, you might get $20 and 37 cents. And then if you got education on top of it, it might be now $21.37, you see. So there was a pay scale that went through education and certifications as well Mm -hmm. as time. Okay, so that was always clean because I knew then that you're a first year teacher, you're making, like when I started, I was making 21,000 a year, you're a first year teacher, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Right. Well, that was back in the nineties. I know, but oh my God. uh, So, so I knew that. So all the teachers, first year teachers started off at the same level, depending on if they worked at an at-risk school, if they, if they had more education, maybe they started off teaching and they already had their master's degree, you know, so, so the scale was there. So a bargaining unit flipping back, a bargaining unit would, or bar, a negotiation maybe wants to increase that scale. Well, then it's not just as simple as saying, well, yes, all first year teachers or all bus drivers deserve a $5 an hour raise over their salary. That's not, that's not just as simple as that. Cause now it has to fluctuate all down that salary schedule. Yeah. 
And it's not just $5 for this group. It ends up, you have to make it equitable across and for 30 some odd years, that salary, you know, mm -hmm. you're looking at that pay scale. So that's, that was kind of the fun part now of negotiations is seeing what the other side really wants and desires and coming in when you, you know, say the other side, what side? Labor side. Sorry. Okay. I was always on, sorry. I was always on management side. And I don't mean the other side, like that was the dark right. side or the bad side. Cause it certainly is not, but just seeing what it was that they felt they needed to improve their work relationship, you know, their mm -hmm. relationship with, with working and coming to a fair balance of what they were willing to compromise on. And therein lies the problem is everybody's idea of compromise is different, right? I mean, even in your personal relationships. Yep. Uh, so, so that was always kind of fun. Um, and, and sometimes. I mean, that's some, where the political games. Come yeah, in. that's bad. That was the bad part. So yeah. I, I didn't really have a whole lot of verbal say I was more of like a, an observer with an occasional idea or thought uh or like after when when the different groups would caucus together to have a conversation about okay well they're asking for this what if we do this what if we do that like i would be involved in those but i wasn't always the head of the table um so that was kind of nice too you kind of get the fly on the wall with a little bit more input so maybe you're the annoying fly <laughs> i don't know um <laughs> but i always enjoyed working with unions you know once you build again that rapport of you know who you can talk to you know, because even not beyond negotiation, you always want to have a good rapport with the union rep or with your um, association reps. Because uh, some I worked with associations too; they didn't quite unionize, but they still had an association that employees would pay dues to. Um, I always be, because again, going back to you, never know what an employee is going through, and people screw up, and sometimes mm -hmm. they deserve to get a second chance or be, yep. get, get a break or maybe not, maybe not have a high level suspension, but maybe have a short, lower level suspension. Um, maybe, maybe a demotion in lieu of any type of termination that those kind of conversations I loved having with the union because management typically has the upper hand when it comes to that. If, if big, if capital letters, exclamation points, if they have the proper documentation, that supports that level of discipline. And that's where it all falls Starts. to pieces. That's where it falls to pieces. But when you're in a union place and you're working with a union house, you have to have that level of documentation. Yeah. And and if you don't have it, so some of the folks that you know I've been working with with you, Amy, don't have that. And they don't understand that you can't just tell an employee, yeah, you pissed me off today, go home. And that's 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 true whether you are dealing with a a group of employees via a collective or, or union or you're dealing with a singular employee. I think these best practices that we're talking about today are a bit evergreen for our space, right? Like having yeah. that documentation. Uh w whether you want to make any decision in management about discipline, pay rates, training, expectations on anything from uniform, any part of the job that is a demand or an ask for me and management has to be clearly expressed 
right? And it has to be clearly documented. If this doesn't happen, then these are the mm -hmm. consequences for that. And I think that your your expertise in that field allows you to segue into a space where there aren't collective bargaining agreements to mm -hmm. coach people like, hey, if you don't do this, because people don't think about that. They think about this stuff in this union box specifically, right? Like there are agreements and they're ironclad and, you know, they, they have to be honored because that relationship between management and the labor force is so strained and we're the go-between. My, uh, Karen, quick question. Um, for someone that is listening to our conversation now that doesn't have a lot of background with collective bargaining agreements or working with unions, what are some pieces of advice that you might have to that person that's coming into this space for the first time, either on the management side where you have a lot of personal experience or on the maybe upper tier or labor side where they're going to have a piece in some of those interactions, some of that kind of collective bargaining, if they're getting into a union house job as a, as a leader, not necessarily entry worker, mm -hmm. but as a leader, what are some pieces of advice that you have for those two those two people coming in? The first advice I would give, and it was the advice that was given to me, and I think that this is uh, probably the best advice. Know your collective bargaining agreement. Read through what, as a, as a manager, an administrator, director, upper-level management, even CEOs, how, from that beginning management level all the way up, know what the collective bargaining agreement is. Is it safe to say that the collective bargaining agreement is or collective bargaining agreement is an SOP for that relationship? Yes. Yes. Um know that and as a, as an employee know that. You have to know what your what your rights are. Now, while when I the different places I've worked with unions, we've had a collective bargaining agreement or a union agreement, what have you. We've also had policies and procedures. And typically what has happened is that the management side with the policy procedures, well, management or employee, doesn't really matter. They have to know both what the policies and procedures are, what they can, what they should not violate. And then that collective bargaining agreement, how are we going to support an employee who does let's say if we're only talking about discipline support how do we support that employee who failed to follow those policies and procedures and what what can the management do so that my employee my 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 person that I'm supporting as a, as a union or as a association how can I uh, make sure that they aren't just going to be fired because they were late one time Right. Mm -hmm. And that's when that progressive discipline kicks in. And and that that makes it fair because we have to allow people. People screw up. We're human. We're going to screw up and we're going to have bad days. We're going to have bad years. We're going to go through bad parts of our life. And it's not fair that a manager all of a sudden decides, you know what? I've never liked Karen. Like she drives me nuts and she's this, that and the other. And today I'm going <laughs> to fucking fire her. Well, I've what had those done? conversations. What have you done? Not with you, Karen. No, I hope not. I don't think so. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, what have you done before? Today was the day that the that that your therm thermostat blew. What did you do before to coach or have conversations with Karen before that thermostat blew? And if you didn't have any, 
fuck you, manager. You, you're, you're fucked up. You yeah. screwed up. You just don't let somebody walk. Even, and I know we talk a lot about at will. There's like a lot of people that say at mm. will and you can be termed for any reason. But if that employee takes you to the labor board or whatever that entity looks like with whatever, whatever county, state, city that you that you live in, even unemployment, you have to have documentation because the employment unemployment officers are going to be like, she just pissed you off and you let her go. Like today was that day. I've worked with so many employers that do just that mm-hmm. and just don't fight the unemployment case. They're like, I'm just going to get rid of them. And then you tell them that, oh, you could go fight this. Oh, I don't really care. I'm not. I, I just want them gone. There's well, so many people. There out are there. so many. And then doesn't that fit um, their, yes. doesn't that eat at their bottom budgetary line? You would, you would think so, but I would say the majority of those folks that have come knocking my door that I've had that conversation with, they just don't care. Yeah. They just want that employee gone. And if we could yeah. figure out uh, the drive to spend by the C-suite uh, and help guide that conversation, I think we would all be millionaires yep. many times over. Amy, you, I think we've been in a place together where Oof. they were like, it's price to do a business. Who cares? I'm not going. Yep. Don't worry about it. Gotta mm-hmm. go. Karen, for any person out there in the workforce that's not part of a union how would you encourage them to get their voices heard and their needs heard because i think that that's a big problem as well that just everybody out there in the workforce is facing you know they're not happy with the pay or they're not happy with their managers or they're just you know getting sexually harassed and nobody cares how would you suggest they go about you know bringing that up well, I would, I would hope that, and I know this isn't true, but I would hope that there would be, Tony's laughing. I would hope that there would be some level, uh, some chain of command, if you will, yeah. that, you know, if you're having an issue, you know, you go to see your supervisor. If you're still having that issue, you go to your manager. If you're still having that issue, then you would come to HR. That way that employee can, can get the level of support because often employees will just get so fed up and and just like management, like I said, management might be up to their, you know, their thermometers exploding. So is an employee. And all of a sudden they're like, this person fucking did this and said this and da, 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 da. And they're in HR and they're yeah. yelling and screaming. And it's like, okay, well, what have you done to mitigate your feelings or have this resolved? back at when it started, when you started having that issue, like when you first have that issue, did you have a conversation with your supervisor? No, that, that asshole doesn't listen to anything I say. Okay. But that's where you need to start because again, as an employee, it's unfair to just assume that the supervisor or manager is not going to listen to you. Uh, because those are the rumors you heard, or that's what you think is going to be, or you're nervous or scared. Uh, you have to go back to that first level of conversation. Hey, this is happening. Um, this person keeps sending me these pictures online and they're bothering me and it's really making me uncomfortable to come to work. Well, then hopefully, you know, if training has all been done well and properly, that supervisor manager immediately will take that person to HR so that, you know, that that harassment can, can get nipped in the bud. But even if it's just minor, you know, I, I, I come into work every day and 
uh, Tony's, you know, always goofing around and I'm trying to get my work done and he's bothering me rather than letting that escalate to that point where you're just so frustrated with Tony that then you tell Tony to fuck off and push him. Now yeah. you're in a situation to get termed. Um, have a conversation with your supervisor. So my advice would always be start with your supervisor or manager. Uh, if you don't feel heard or you aren't feeling comfortable after that conversation, then escalate it to the next level. And it's funny that you, it's funny that you brought this up because recently um, my own child went through a situation at work. They're not union. And mm -hmm he had a concern about a manager and he's really upset and he's talking about it with me and he's like, I'm just going to go to HR. And I even had, I was like, let me back you down the ladder a little bit. Now I get you're upset with your manager. Have you talked about it to your manager about what he did to make you upset? Well, no, that's where you kind of need to start. Yeah. I feel like sometimes folks come directly to HR thinking that we're magically going to fix everything and we've got all the political like know-how and we're just magical right. fairies that will sprinkle some dust on it and we'll all make <laughs> And while we're struggling ourselves to, you know, I always, you know, it's, I, I've never worked in, you know, a union sector, but, you know, there's a game to be played. There's a political game to be had in every single organization out there mm -hmm. and that's good bad and ugly if you're not part of the game you're going to be out you know unfortunately is, is my take on that i think there's some other things we can pull out of this too right like amy your question is really great and pointed for people that don't have the protections of a collective bargaining agreement that outline that route of uh, of communication if you're a business non-union sounds like to me have that that clear channel of communication and set that expectation from onboard on and just have that as a culture of communication in your in your business give your employees both uphill and downhill that route of communication outline what mm -hmm. that looks like i think that's you know folks coming in you know i um you know John, my husband has a, you know, 18 year old and I've been telling him this for about seven years now. It's like, you know, you mind your P's and Q's and you watch what's going on. Right. You know, they're, you know, be a little savvy. And I think like, I guess, you know, 18 year old me would have liked to have known that piece of information as well. Like, um, it's not, you know, I've I've got college degrees, right? And I've I've went through that aspect. It's it's not what they tell you <laughs> out there. Correct. It's just not. And so, I mean, you've got to have some gumption. You've got to have you know some grit behind you to, you know, I feel for some of these folks, both on the manager side and the employee side, of sometimes what they go through when they work at a poor company. And so, it's like for all of those you listening, you know. You know, you know, if you've got a good company or not, you know, it's it's time to to move forward. And I think we're finally seeing that as this new like generation comes comes on board. They're not OK with mediocre anymore. They're not going to be treated like that. I think, too, you have to remember that when especially for this newer generation, people who are starting in the workforce or in the workforce or changing their job. 
people are hiring you, companies are hiring you because they found something in you that they wanted and liked. And I think as employees, we forget that companies invest in their employees, no matter how small or how large, there's still some money, time and energy invested in the employee. And as much as, you know, we talked about, you know, a, a manager or supervisor or somebody getting fed up and frustrated, wanting to just, you know, get out of here. I can't stand you. You're done for ever. I think those are rare because you you really want to, after you've spent time and invested in an employee, you want to provide that additional training and support because you don't want to have to start all over again because that's just as hard, you know, to to start over again. I think the road that you and I took, Karen, are very different roads. Oh, it could be, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I've I've worked in the transportation industry and 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 um as well. And I mean, the those folks are all over the place. You know, they don't know what they're doing. You know, it's all about the bottom line. And so I th- I think my HR career and how I you know kind of grew up in it has been great in some ways but very jaded in other ways Mm. you know against you know the just corporateness of it all right i mean there's no the greed and and the the bsing and the bullshit that's played and so you know i guess you know i'm totally jaded when it comes to that you know i've i've uh you know built a, a wall up right to some extent and um you know back in the day when i was early on in my career i had a uh a CEO that we caught embezzling almost um, half a million dollars Oh shit! Um, that I've, you know, actively worked with the DA and, and, and figured out kind of what was going on with him and, you know, watched him get in cuffs and spend nine years in, in prison mm-hmm. um, for, for some white collar crime. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's sad to see that that is out there and, and this happening. Um, but I, I mean, it's, I just feel like it's it's rampant. So, I mean, I wish there was better business owners out there. I wish there was more people that trained their staff as well as their their leadership. I think that is totally lacking. I I agree. And I, I see I see your point, Amy. You know, I didn't I didn't have as much time in corporate America. And I guess I could see why you would be jaded with that. I I had to at one time fire somebody who worked very closely with me and who I entrusted with a lot of sensitive information and that particular employee um, abused their station and took advantage of a situation. And and I remember that was really hard. Um, My point in that in trying to connect with you is I, I was jaded as a result of that. And and we still had that collective bargaining agreement. Everything was still there. And I don't I don't think a collective bargaining agreement or union agreement makes you any more happy with HR or any more jaded with HR. Um, I think it's it's good that you're bringing to light that there's that different perspective, though, um, that, you know, in, sometimes in corporate America, people really don't have the best interest other than their pocketbook. And so they're going to step on people to increase that profitability. I haven't experienced that, but again, my corporate experience has been minuscule compared to, compared to yours. Yeah. 
so yeah I, I you know I I think you know it's one of the reasons I started my own HR company is to to one provide a working environment for HR professionals that's good um I think a lot of HR professionals have been poo-pooed on and so one I wanted to to provide you know even though that there's what like seven eight of us right now at least we have a good working environment and I strive to that but I also strive to to bring some sense of common practices and what to do and how to do it to those that are just starting out mm -hmm. um to make a good environment for their employees or you know to maybe ring a bell on somebody and say oh I shouldn't do that you know so I mean I I think you know my my underlying role here is to help companies provide a better environment for themselves and their employees ultimately and there's a lot of ways that of course we're as we go through this right podcast and hopefully we can develop more tricks and and tips and bring folks on here that has new ideas you know i'm always kind of searching the back end of new ideas and how folks can be better and i'm i'm up at two o'clock reading you know you uh, harvard business <laughs> review bullshit papers and you know think what if we live in a, a place right now and especially in this weird kind of post-pandemic timeline that we're on where the lines between management and labor are a lot more blurry and those relationships are a lot stranger than they've used to be and 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 less defined looking at the definitions that got us up to this place and and making sure that you know some of that cut and dried and uh, x's and o's on paper that were there from you know Karen's background Amy your background my background uh, are reinstituted but but in a way where we're looking at the other side of the fence or looking at the other side of this relationship, union, non-union, boss, labor, with each other and, and looking to see where we can make those compromises. Compromise is a word that Karen said numerous times throughout the day. And I think that if we boil this conversation down to its barest parts, that it really is about relationship and compromise. Like that's that's not to be reductive about what we do, right? Uh, but that's really that's really the kind of crux of of that of that relationship. I agree. I agree. I think it it comes down to making sure that you're able to communicate and and not just fly off the handle either direction. Right. Uh, make sure you really are present in what that person is telling you, whether it's management talking to an employee or an employee talking to a management, just really being uh, aware of what they're really trying to say and maybe having a hard time saying it because communication is so difficult. People people don't know how to communicate with one another anymore. And, and, and very few people can do it really eloquently uh, where they can really see what that the heart of what that person is. And so you're right, having that compromise to try and figure out what's best to be to meet everybody's needs. One last question for you, Karen. You ready? Hit me. Would you do it all over again? Absolutely. 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 Yep. I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. I I I was very blessed 
I was very blessed with the people I've worked with, with the mentors I had, uh, with the opportunities I I had, and I, I made good choices, you know, to to have those opportunities come to fruition. So, you know, it wasn't just that the door opened. It was I worked hard and was able to kind of knock on the door and it opened. But I would do it all again. I have been so blessed in my life that. Um, you know, even the challenging people, the people that have broken my heart with the way that they've yelled or treated me, the people that have, I've saved, they're like, thank you so much. I cannot believe you did this for me. Um, th those, those stories, the good, the bad, the ugly, they're all, I would do them all again. I might change some things, obviously, you know, I think sure. if we all Monday, if we all, Monday night quarterbacked Sunday's game, you know, we are armchair. I don't know how you say that, but I would do it all again. I would I do it, it all again. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate you being on with us today on today's Thanks. podcast. I think that we've shined some light on some hot topics. Thank you for being a non-crazy Karen. I, I <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a little craziness in there. Thank you for listening. If you have topics, concerns, questions, find us on Instagram at HR underscore unscripted. And we will see you next time.